0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes a Pinstripe Perspective Podcast. The Yankees are 29-12 and but are coming off a bit of a downer of a weekend against the Chicago White Sox. But first, before we get into any of that, I am joined as always by Matthew Jarrell. But we also have someone new on the panel today, a third voice that we are very excited about. Um, Les Williams. Les how how are we doing on this fine evening? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I really
1: enjoy working with you guys and it's just so much fun to uh, talk to somebody besides my wife and kids about Yankees baseball.
0: Matt how about you? How, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine
2: Robert. I was doing a lot better the last couple of times we talked and as you mentioned it seems like the good vibes are circling the drain a little bit after this weekend. We're going to get into all the details, but regardless of how good your record is, uh, and regardless of what month it is, it's never fun to drop a series to a fellow contender in the American League. Those are the teams that you want to assert your dominance against, teams that you might be seeing later on with higher stakes, and the Yankees did not get it done against the White Sox this weekend for many reasons, and excited to dive into them.
0: Yeah, so just to start on that, the Yankees scored one run in 18 innings of baseball on Sunday against the Chicago White Sox. The only run scored was naturally on an Aaron Judge solo home run in the eighth inning that tied the game, Uh, a home run that I thought would energize the team and, and lead them to a win. But as we know, Aroldis Chapman came in and kind of did what he does best this season and blew it. Didn't waste any time, at least. Didn't make us suffer anything. It was just first at bat. Let's hit a home run to left field, A.J. Pollock. And beyond his one run in 18 innings, eight runs all weekend, but four of those came on a D.J. wall scraper. So the offense kind of goes a little bit silent. And then to add insult to injury on top of all of that, or to literally add injury to insult... Lots of uh, IL problems going on for the Yankees right now, COVID and non-COVID related. So wanted to talk a little bit about that. So Luis Heal and Chad Green, since we last spoke, Matt, both undergoing Tommy John surgery. Very unlikely either of them pitch in the Yankees organization again, remains to be seen there. And then beyond that, Kyle Higashioka, Josh Donaldson, and Joey Gallo, all on the COVID IL without COVID, it seems, there seems to be some sort of bug going around that Yankee clubhouse. All three of their lockers are next to each other, which I found kind of oddly humorous. And then lastly, Aroldis Chapman has an Achilles issue, of course, and why Aroldis Chapman is pitching in the ninth inning of a tie game with an Achilles problem that Boone admitted he knew about after the game is beyond me when you have arguably the best reliever in baseball and Clay Holmes winning the bullpen. We'll get into that a little bit later. So a upsetting weekend. Less. Yeah. Let me hear great. your thoughts.
1: Yeah, not great. Um, the Aroldis Chapman, I I kind of just think he might be done. Like it just it just has this moment where he comes into the game and you don't feel that energy, you don't feel that vibe. You're waiting on the 106 mile an hour fastball to pop the to pop the mitt, and then it ends up in the stands. You know, it's just. It's just disappointing, and like you said, why is Boone throwing him when his health is compromised against a team that's, like you just said, they're waking up, and you might see them down the road. And here's Chapman just, just giving up bombs. Just disappointing, and uh, the whole one run thing—it was just you. You wait for Aaron Judge; you just know he's going to hit a home run at any moment. Like you don't want to go to the bathroom, you don't want to go <laughs> get a drink. Every time ninety nine is at the plate, as as we're seeing this evening, uh, spoiler alert, but he's just, he's must-see TV, and I I just, I wait for him to hit a home run, to blast the ball out of the ballpark, and, you know, the rest of the bats are kind of depressing at times.
0: Yeah, anecdotally speaking tonight, I have been in and out of watching the Yankee game, got back from work recently. I've watched pretty much the entirety of the last four innings of this game. The only things I've missed are the two judge home runs, so – Maybe it's just best if I turn the game off completely and don't pay attention (laughs) anymore. Matt, did you have any thoughts on on kind of a sad weekend in the Bronx?
2: Well, Aaron judge is the best player in baseball right now. It's, it's really that it's really that simple. The, the stats, the eye test, just everything is pointing to a guy who in a career that has been outstanding to this point is playing the best baseball of his career. It's, It's unbelievable, especially after we talked about this a whole lot last episode, but turning down that contract the way that he did and coming into the season and outplaying his his all-star career to this point is just unimaginable. And you feel great about where the Yankees can go with Judge at the helm. But that's about where the positives end. So I want to take a few moments right now and just give a full and deserved tribute to Chad Green. Everybody who has yes, been listening to this pod, needed. a eulogy before. perhaps. <laughs> you, right? Yes. Um, and 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 you know anyone who's who's listened to me on this on this pod the last few weeks or has read my writing knows that Chad Green is my guy. He's been one of the best relievers in baseball over the last five plus seasons. He's in the top five in WAR for relievers since 2017. Wow! In the same breath as guys like Chapman, guys like Craig Kimbrel, Kenley Jansen. He's up in that echelon of relievers in recent history. He's been a stud. And not only that, but he's even taken his lumps in a very graceful way. So folks probably remember back in 2019, he had one of the roughest Aprils I can remember from a high-profile Yankees reliever. He went down to Scranton, worked on his, you kind of tweaked things, worked on things, and came back and was just as dominant as he had been for the rest of that season. Ended up being a big reason why the Yankees made that run Deep into the postseason that year. I mean, the guy has done everything the teams asked him to do. He came over as a starter and then transitioned to the bullpen and just served that role so gracefully. And he's been really a staple of this era of Yankees baseball. In my mind, at the same level as, you know, Judge, at the same level as Glaber Torres, other members of what we would call the Yankees' young core of these last few seasons, Chad Green is up there with those guys. I am very, very sad thinking about the fact that Chad Green may have thrown his last pitch in pinstripes. That is an upsetting thought. It's probably true, but I wish he had been able to go out on a higher note. It's almost like this is almost becoming a trend with the Yankees relievers these last few years. Like, Patanzas didn't get the correct send off, the proper send off either. Now, Green, it's just, it's sad. It's sad to watch those kind of core guys not get their due at the end of their time.
1: Yeah, that's. That's actually – sorry to jump in, but that's actually a great point. Like, Chad Green was such a low-key maneuver for the team, too. Like, he was just kind of an afterthought, too. And But you're right. He's been awesome. He's reliable. You know, he took the place of guys that were higher names. Like, everybody went crazy when Adam Adovino came to town because of that, that sweeping breaking ball. But Chad Green has just been reliable. You go to him, he gets the job done, three innings, four innings, whatever you need when they try to do the whole uh, long man game. He was, he's the guy you're a hundred percent right on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and and that kind of gets me into something I wanted to touch on quickly, which is kind of the way too early. Let's think about trade deadline problems for this Yankees team. Um, so obviously right now you lose Chad green chapman is not on the il yet for whatever reason maybe they're kind of just waiting to do that it'll probably be a retroactive situation i don't know how he can't go on the il if boone has brought up this achilles problem so as far as yankees needs now go as hard as it is to believe or say there's an argument to be made that one of the biggest needs is in the bullpen despite the fact that the bullpen has been incredibly dominant this season and despite the fact that they have you know, Clay Holmes being one of the best relievers in baseball, there's still question marks there. Jonathan Luizaga doesn't look nearly as sharp this season as he has in the past. Obviously the issues with Chapman, Chad Green is gone. Zach Britton doesn't exist anymore. So there's holes in that bullpen. So I think that's one, one area they have to plug up. And then beyond that, you look at left and center field specifically, I guess you could call it center field. I think we've learned to this point Aaron Hicks can't really play there anymore. It's not um, kind of an option. His, his, pop, his pop is gone ever since he had that wrist injury. He's had a couple surgeries. Doesn't really seem to be making many adjustments or necessary adjustments at the plate. And then I guess the other area where you could theoretically say the Yankees need some sort of an upgrade is at the catching position. They're like in the middle of the pack and war there. However, I do think Kyle Higashioka, as Matt knows, I do think Kyle Higashioka is due for some positive regression. His warning track fly balls need to turn into home runs eventually. So I'll kick it off with the name that I want the Yankees to acquire. One name just to fill any of these holes. And it's someone that I really was targeting in the off season before last year. And it's Kike Hernandez. And I look at the Red Sox, and I kind of see them as a team that has the potential to be sellers. Obviously, Heim Bloom is there. He's very creative, and he knows how to get deals done. If the Red Sox are out of it come the trade deadline, I don't think Heim Bloom would be the one that's in the way of him, in the way of the Red Sox making a deal with the Yankees to give them a Kike Hernandez-type player. I think that would be an ownership problem. But Kike Hernandez, to me, is just another player – He's basically Marwin Gonzalez on steroids. The Yankees love these players that can play every position and play in the outfield and play in the infield. And Kike is that just so much better defensively. And you can put Kike Hernandez in center field. So if I had like a way too early, I don't want to call it a prediction, but just like a, this is the type of guy that brings you from what the Yankees are now, which is a legitimate contender to, you know, elite level baseball team that, probably will win the World Series. I think Kike Hernandez is part of that puzzle. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but I've been high on that man since he was a Dodger, even since before that. So that is my top of the wish list.
2: I like that selection a lot. Um, and and I I I would I would be hundred percent down. I think Kike Hernandez is a guy who you could foresee Brian Cashman putting together an absolute heist for. Now I know the Red Sox are run by smart people. So it may not be as easy as it is with some other teams, but that is a worthy upgrade in my mind. I actually had a similar answer to yours, Robert, on this question, in that I feel like the outfield is maybe the biggest area of need right now. I have some faith that that some of the members of that bullpen are going to improve their performance, and catcher is catcher. I mean, league-wide catching offensively is a bad position, so we can talk about marginal upgrades, but I don't know that there's – a really obvious huge Mm -hmm. upgrade that would be easy enough to acquire that's out there. So I'm focused on outfield as well. One name that comes up for me and that has been talked about in the last couple of trade deadlines slash off seasons, that would take probably a little more prospect capital than Hernandez would is Brian Reynolds. Um, Mm -hmm. So it depends on, on how deep we think Pittsburgh is into their rebuild, whether we think that Brian Reynolds is a player that they foresee themselves building around there's a question mark there, but Brian Reynolds to me is a great buy low candidate. Now it's only May 23rd, but Brian Reynolds is not having a particularly good year. He's only hitting two twenty eight, uh, And I know this because he was one of my early round fantasy draftees. So it's been disappointing from that, from that regard, mm-hmm. but Reynolds is a you know, cost controlled player under team control for a number of seasons. He has played like an all-star the last couple of years. And you figure the pirates are, to put it diplomatically, run by considerably less intelligent people than the Red Sox are. So that might be more of a of an area where you could make a deal like Cashman has been known to do over the last few years. So it very much depends. You know, I don't I don't I don't think that that Pittsburgh is going to part with with Reynolds for, for a pittance, but might be worth making a run
0: at him. Yeah, I like that a lot and Les before before you go, I do want to just offer one thought and it's that are the pirates completely averse to trading with the Yankees at this point after the Clay Holmes trade last year. And that's something that happens with teams. It's like there are teams that will not trade with the Tampa Bay Rays because they know there's something they're they're probably missing. They know there's something the Rays have and they're just averse to trading with them. You look back on the trade that the Yankees made with the Cardinals and getting Luke Voigt. What did they miss? So there are teams that especially a year after the Pirates traded one of the best relievers in baseball for a non-major league player. I do think there's going to be some skepticism in that front office when they're like, I don't know if we can do this again, especially with kind of the only marquee aside from like a Brian Hayes player that we have. Um, so that is my only, my only qualm there. But outside of that, yes, I think Brian Reynolds is, as you mentioned, a a quote-unquote buy low because I'm I'm sure the Pirates view him very highly and will try to get as much as possible for him. But I do think they have the the intention of moving him, but I could see them not wanting to do any business with the Yankees.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. And I think Brian Reynolds, like you mentioned, not having the uh, the top-of-the-line season, but I think he could definitely be a guy that would benefit tremendously from a change of scenery. You know a nicer shape, a nicer set of pinstripes, um, you know big light uh, bright lights, big city vibe, knowing it's challenging playing a demographic like you said, the pirates are an absolute trigger for me in the way that they run their budget because they have the same budget year after year, and they don't really invest much in their on field talent so I think Brian Reynolds would be great for the Yankees, particularly because Aaron Hicks is terrible you know like you just said he and center field i didn't know you can be a negative defensive war aaron hicks is negative 0.4 defensive war i didn't know that was a thing
0: the worst defensive center fielder in baseball less you can say it the worst
1: uh, there are kids on my son's little league team that i would prefer to have manning center field than uh than aaron hicks but yeah and you know what with like you said dealing with the yankees the yankees always seem to have a 1,000 left-handed hitting outfielders that can play each position. So ship another one of them to Pittsburgh, a bunch of them if you want to, um, and, and bring them back. Brian Cashman can't be afraid to make some of these moves. And, you know, are they going to be afraid, the, they being the Pirates? Maybe, sure, but you know what? Give the guy a chance to win something as opposed to holding him hostage and not dealing with the Yankees out of spite.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I think we're kind of all in agreement that the outfield is where we need to see improvement. Yeah. Because everything else has been uh, been pretty good. I-, I do think, because when I try to look at the team, I basically am like, what player, if you basically turn, if you took that player and turned him to a better version of the same player, how much does that help the team? And I think the Marwin Gonzalez to Kike Hernandez upgrade is like a, it's like a Pokemon upgrade. It's like you basically <laughs> just completely got the exact same type of build of guy that the Yankees clearly love. Like Marvin Gonzalez probably shouldn't be playing as much as he is, but the Yankees love a guy that can play every single position on the face of the earth. So, and I'm, and and they were targeting Kike last year. And I think if, if the Sox, we got to keep rooting for the Red Sox to lose games because if he's available, the Yankees should go hard after him. All right. So, Let's get into just kind of the little kerfuffle that happened this weekend. I had some thoughts um, before we get into our segments. Um, so we saw it, it, t- it took a while. Actually, no, it didn't. It took, it took less <laughs> than two months to, to see the ugly side of Josh Donaldson and to see kind of everything that everyone was warning us about. And it's real. The Yankees were 29 and 10 going into this into this weekend. Um, and leave it to Josh Donaldson to switch up those vibes almost immediately. Obviously, you know, kind of crossed the line in his words to Tim Anderson. Definitely, there, there's a point where your trash talk is trash talk. And then there's a point where your trash talk is just being like a complete a-hole for the sake of being a complete a-hole. And that's kind of what Donaldson was doing. And then on top of that, you take... The Yankees and Josh Donaldson practically waking up a sleeping giant in the Chicago White Sox, a team that has been struggling mightily to start the year playing 500 baseball, having a very similar start to the season that the Yankees had last year. And you give them bulletin board material. So I love being a feisty, intense guy when it comes to cheering on your guys. I mentioned on last week's podcast, Donaldson's the first guy out of the dugout. He's always super pumped up for everyone. He seems to bring a really good attitude to the dugout, to the clubhouse. And it's especially apparent when you're winning, like all of this is awesome when you're winning, but it's moments like this where you kind of have to step back and think that's just too much. And you're giving the other team an advantage and you're giving a team that you very well might meet down the line in the playoffs, a lot of, you know, stuff to work with and a lot of motivation and you don't want to give anyone else an edge when you feel like you're giving yourself an edge and then it backfires on you. So that's kind of how I, how I feel about the Donaldson situation. He's just a complete a-hole. I don't think there's much more to say about that. I think he always has been one. And, and he crossed a line here that, you know, clearly Tim Anderson thought was crossed. So those, those are my takeaways. I'm just more mad at him because things were just feeling so good. Most of this was a feel-good story for the Yankees. The, the most non-feel-good story was with all the Yankees fans throwing beers at Oscar Mercado and Miles Straw. But now it becomes on the players and now you have an issue with Josh Donaldson. And now, you know, who knows how guys in the clubhouse feel about it. We don't know. They might be fine about it. Maybe Donaldson talked to everyone, but kind of just wanted to get, um, I'll start with you, Matt, your guys' opinion uh, kind of on the, on the Donaldson situation from this past weekend.
2: Yeah, it's, it's disappointing. Really. That's, that's as simple as as I can make it. There was no reason for for Donaldson to go there. Uh, There was no, there's just no need to give the other team more ammunition, more emotional ammunition to go after you with. And certainly he chose the wrong guy to go after because Tim Anderson is not afraid of anyone and Tim Anderson's going to let you know if you, if you cross a line with him, I mean, he will speak his mind and power to him for doing so seriously uh, you know, there's no reason why anyone should have to put up with that kind of crap on the field and It's just, it's, it's tough because as you said, Robert, things were going so well, the vibes were great. Everything seemed to be clicking and now you go and you, you, you piss off one of your chief rivals in, in this kind of really highly charged way by just doing something that was totally inappropriate and totally unnecessary. So disappointed. That's just the one word I can use to sum it up really. Yeah, not, not great at all. He, he tried
1: to rationalize it going back to, I guess, their time together in Cleveland. And it just didn't make any sense. And there were a lot of reports that you can't think of any Josh Donaldson says at his word. And I, this is just who Josh Donaldson is. He's a career something or another, teams, 12 years. And he just seems to wear out his welcome. And
0: he just seems genuinely hateable. And, and players hate him. Liam Hendricks yeah. openly, admittedly hates him. And there's obviously a reason for that. So it was only a matter of time before something with Donaldson came up. And of course it finally did in May when the Yankees were just kind of winning every game they played. And then you follow that up with two sleepwalking games. So my last thought before we get into three up three down is were the Yankees just completely hung over for all of Sunday. So they had their welcome home dinner on Saturday night. Uh, Don't really know where it was, but it was basically a full-team dinner on a Saturday night. I'm not going to pretend like they were probably drinking Diet Cokes and waters the whole night. So Sunday, were the Yankees hungover, or is Johnny Cueto just really good at catching a team like the Yankees that's full of righties off balance? There were a lot of ground balls back to Cueto all day, a lot of ground balls in the infield. So is Johnny Cueto really good at keeping guys off balance, especially a team like the Yankees? And on top of that, is Michael Kopech, did he just pitch an amazing game? Or were the Yankees just completely sleepwalking on a very hot Sunday in New York City?
2: Both of those guys were incredible. Johnny Cueto is is shaping up to be one of the best stories around baseball this year. He's now made two starts in his return to the field. Both of them have been excellent, and you just gotta love you just gotta love a, a wily vet like Cueto. You know he kind of has a, a net, you know the Nestor Cortez thing going on, throwing guys timing off, inducing grounders knows who he is at this stage of his career and he's succeeding. And that's really cool. And then Kopech was, Kopech was brilliant. He really was. was. All of his stuff was working. His command was pinpoint. Some of those breaking balls sliders he threw just had caught the Yankees hitters completely flat footed. And just again, pinpoint location with some of those, you know, bottom half of the zone at the corners. There's not much you can do with that as a hitter. And I think you saw a lot of, kind of concessions from Yankee hitters coming up against a guy with that kind of stuff. So is it possible the Yankees were hungover? Absolutely. They also came up against two great pitchers, one veteran and one relative youngster who pitched some of the best baseball we've seen. So you got to tip your hat to an extent when things like that happen.
0: Yeah. And Johnny Cueto, uh, the one thing I can really appreciate, I was at the day game yesterday. Thank God I didn't stay for the night game in, in hindsight, but I was at the day game. Johnny Cueto works very quickly. So that game was, that game had a pristine pace to it. But yeah, I'm going to be wondering, I think the Yankees were hungover. I I think, I think they were hungover and they didn't really want to be there, but they also faced some really good pitching. But anyway, let's get into our first segment. We can finally do three up, three down because there are three of us, which is awesome. So I will kick us off with my first down, of course, have to start on the negative note. Um, My first down is going to be DJ LeMahieu. Four hits in his last 23 plate appearances. I'm very happy he's not playing tonight so that my narrative here cannot be destroyed from like a DJ home run in the first inning or something. In those 23 plate appearances, 270 wOBA, 78 WRC plus, and six RBIs, four of which came on a Little League home run wall scraper at Yankee Stadium. And he was completely hitless on Sunday. And as I just said, he's out of the lineup tonight. I am now fearing that we are kind of on the whole uh, theme. We're getting a little bit of 2021 DJ LeMahieu recently. We're not seeing him hit the ball as hard as he was early in April. He doesn't feel the same as he does. Like he feels worse within the last two weeks than he did for all of April. So there is some concern there. Also, when you have a sports hernia, that's something that never goes away. So, just this entire season i 'm going to be wondering if he 's hurt if he 's playing through something if there 's something wrong with him. never really know um, so i 'll try to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt maybe he 's hurt, but I mean Dj May he was such a big table setter for this team, and there's a you know there 's a decline in the offense when he 's not producing he 's so important anywhere he 's put into that lineup, especially at the top of the order. So this team is only going to go as far offensively as D.J. LeMahieu goes. Aaron Judge can only hit so many home runs to carry this team. So I'm going to, give DJ, um, going to give D.J. my down because we need that man to get back to the way he was early in April when we all thought we had the 2019-2020 D.J. back. So that's my first down of this week. Matt, I'll let you take your first down. So my down this week is Jonathan
2: Loizaga. And in so selecting Loizaga for my down, I am uh, conceding defeat on my very bold and very incorrect preseason prediction that Loizaga would be an all-star this year. Uh, It is early, still somewhat early in the season, but if you're a reliever with a 7.02 ERA on May 23rd, you can pretty much count yourself out of the all-star discussion, especially if you're not a closer. So that prediction is not going to come true. I will admit defeat on that one. Loisic has been bad. He has been bad. Let's not mince words. A 7.2 R ERA 7.02 ERA is a 7.02 ERA. Really the other stat that stands out as far as describing how poor he's been is his 13.7% walk rate, which is a career high by far and is solidly in the lower half of the league, especially for relievers. You can't walk that many hitters. So he hasn't been good. That being said, I think there are some reasons for optimism or some reasons that might, some things that might suggest that Loisega will turn a corner and that it will happen relatively soon. For starters, one of the reasons why his ERA is so inflated is his four-run implosion on Sunday. And he really didn't pitch that badly in that game. He got murdered by balls in play, none of which were hit particularly hard. He had that Uh, double off the bat of sheets that just snuck in the third baseline was barely, barely fair. That one was a, you know, basically a Baltimore chop that just snuck inside the line led to a couple of runs. And overall for the season, we've also seen a lot of those types of things take place. He is one of the unluckiest pitchers in the entire league by expected ERA to actual ERA. So while he does have that very unsightly 7.02 figure is expected as 4.43. Still not great, but considerably better than uh, his results have shown to this point. So overall, I am stuck scratching my head as to why the is so markedly worse, less impactful than he was last year. But I do think he's going to improve. His results are going to improve to the point where he's once again a usable reliever, especially if he can just cut down on those walks a little bit. He's still managing to strike people out. His his strikeout rate is pretty much unchanged from last year. He is managing to get swings and misses, especially on that changeup, which I think is his best pitch. So the ingredients are still there. You know, good sinker breaking ball changeup mix. I think the results will come with Lawziga, but for the moment, given how bad his results have been, I have to have him as a down for this
0: week. My biggest concern with Lawaziga is that we got his peak last season we might have just seen the best he's ever going to be. That's kind of the way I might be feeling about him now because he's not, he wasn't ever supposed to be this dominant pitcher reliever Um, supposed to be good. Uh, but, but I do think, I do think we might've seen the best of him last season. Um, As you mentioned, the walks are up. His control is kind of over the, all all over the place. He looks like visibly nervous on the mound sometimes, which is weird. So we'll see how that plays out. But for the moment, I'm going to remain very cautiously Optimistic, kind of knowing in the back pocket, like, hey, he was really good last year. It's kind of hard to expect him to replicate that completely. All right, Les, for the first time, <laughs> your first down of the Pinstripe Perspective podcast history. Awesome.
1: Well, predictably for me, it's Aaron Hicks. You can't mm-hmm. be the center fielder of the New York Yankees and just look completely lost on the field as he has. Uh, We talked about the negative .4 defensive war, which is awful. But that pickoff at second base in the eighth inning, which basically killed the rally, that was so bad. Did he he fall asleep? Did he miss a sign? Like, if you're a professional baseball player, you can't do that. And this is – I've just never been an Aaron Hicks fan. He's hitting .212, struck out 28 times. The running joke for – you know, my son and I, my twelve-year-old and I, was you know who hits after Aaron Hicks in the lineup, and I always say the other team, because he's
2: just
1: <laughs> he's just so brutally bad from both sides of the plate. Uh, I don't know. Thankfully, he's only signed till twenty twenty-five, but you know, only, you would think only yeah, signed right, but you would think like he's coming back after injury, and he had you know. There is something to be said about having a child. Like Gleyber Torres has these minor leaguers seemingly on his tail in Scranton, uh, Volpe, in Somerset. Aaron Hicks has absolutely nobody chasing him, and he's playing like somebody that has nobody chasing him. So I really hope he turns into Brian Reynolds at some point.
0: But I'll say, I actually mentioned this on a podcast before the season started. Aaron Hicks came into spring training in really good shape. He came in Tremendous. last season out of shape. So my thought was, okay, this is a guy that was probably told, hey, if you stink, you're gone. And I still think that's the case. And I think he is actually trying to play well. I think he is playing <laughs> like someone that knows his job is up. I think he's just bad. I think I think he is well past his prime years. I'm looking at his fan page right now. To think that he was a a four-and-a-half war player in 2018, I mean, 360 weighted on-base average, a 366 on-base. Still has a high on-base. He's still kind of the same approach hitter. It's just the power has disappeared. 2018, he had 27 home runs, slugged 467. This season, he has one home run, and he's slugging 250. And I think it's that wrist injury. I think it's the Tommy John that he got. He's just old, and he's gone through so many like body changes. And he got his contract and he might've just gotten a little comfortable and he's got a, he's got kids. He's a, he's a full-blown dad. He's 33. Might just be time's up for Aaron Hicks. I mean, I think he played himself into a really good contract and now he's just kind of done. I don't really know what you do with him. I don't really know how you can effectively get rid of him. I don't think anyone would care to take on his contract. So luckily it's not my job to make those decisions. That's all I'm going to say. But anyway, for our first ups of the week, I will happily go first. And my first up is going to be Clay Holmes. Not going to throw too many numbers in your face. He's sixth in reliever war this season. Uh, Michael King is first, by the way, which is very cool. But That's mostly because he's got the most innings. A .4 ERA, a 1.83 XFIP. And the biggest thing with him is we're at the point with Clay Holmes where when he comes into a game... You just feel safe. He, the, he, he, is, he is the human embodiment of a safe space. I He needs to be any sort of high leverage situation there is. He needs to be the high leverage guy at this point. Chapman is way past that point. I don't think Loisaga is quite there yet, especially this season. They obviously just lost Chad Green. Michael King is approaching that, but not quite there. So I think Clay Holmes is the high leverage guy on this team right now. And I don't think it's even relatively close at the moment. If it's a close game in the ninth inning, if, you're, if you have a one-run lead in the ninth, whatever it may be, Clay Holmes is the guy you bring in. So that's my, my first up of the week. If you guys have any thoughts about Clay Holmes, I love talking about how good he is. So <laughs> by all means, go ahead. Otherwise, Matt, your first up of the week.
2: Clay Holmes is great, man. Can you <laughs> believe that there were, some, there were some people on Yankees Twitter who were angry about that trade when it was made? <laughs> wow Yankees Twitter uh, wow.
1: Is, a, is a cesspool of insanity at times
2: <laughs> oh at times that isn't <laughs> that is the understatement of the century right there absolutely <laughs> Clay Holmes is great no doubt about it and and I agree with your assessment Robert he's the guy in the bullpen right now nobody else has pitched their way into that role and Clay Holmes is out there I mean aside from Michael King but I think Michael King is honestly better suited to a longer relief multi inning yeah. role than a closer role Clay Holmes is the closer right now should be moving forward. Definitely. My up of the week. So on a slightly humorous note, I, I chose Rob Brantley because <laughs> Rob Brantley is, is just, he seems, he just seems cool to me. I've just always been a fan of the guy. He's kind of been the shuttle catcher from Scranton and it seems like he does good work with the kids down there. And, uh, and he comes up and makes cameos like he did on Sunday, breaking up a perfect game by Michael Kopech in the seventh inning with a solid double into the gap. And with how much of a just dumpster fire the Yankees catcher situation is right now, hey, maybe Rob Brantley gets an extended look over the next couple weeks. Uh, Depends on how sick uh, or or out of it Higgy is. Trevino has been awesome defensively, but uh, can't really hit much either. So Rob Brantley, maybe uh, trying to play himself into a real major league role right now.
0: Yeah, the one thing about Brantley that I loved from last night was net inning where Sevy got the back-to-back ground balls. Uh, when the bases were loaded, nobody out. So it was a ground ball to DJ throw home, then a ground ball to Rizzo throw home. I lost it when Rizzo threw home for that second out and Brantley just fired it back at Rizzo. The most ill-advised, stupid decision you could have on a baseball field. But this guy's thinking, screw it. I'm only up here for so long. I'm going to try to make an insane play right now. So while he probably knows it was a bad idea and it was very, very stupid, you got to give him credit for taking a shot. Definitely. Les, your first up of the week. My first, my first
1: up in the Pinstripe Perspective podcast history, I'm going Louis Luis Severino. I just love seeing that guy back on the bump. I love how he looks. I just, his personality reminds me of when he came up again. And it, honestly, we all, a lot of people might have thought he was done all back-to-back-to-back to back to back injuries. But he went seven innings, eight hits, zero walks, zero earned runs, five strikeouts the other day, and he just he just looks like the Seve that got the contract, the guy that was supposed to be the ace. Mm-hmm. He's only three and zero through eight games, so that means they're not they're giving him the Jordan Montgomery treatment as it relates to runs. So uh, three 0 two ERA and forty one innings, like I just love seeing Seve. Give me all the Severino and Garrett Cole you can give me, and let's go get the ring.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting with Seve because he has been so good. And last night, so up until last night, the Yankees were seven and zero in games that he started and they mm-hmm. lost last night because they couldn't get the darn hit. <laughs> I'm going to have an honorable mention up of the week and it's going to be Jamison Tyone uh, for how well, and, and, and Matt, I know he was an up for you, I think last week, or maybe it was the week before, but we need more talking about Jamison Tyone. I think he went, did he go seven innings? Was it like seven innings, seven Ks?
2: He went seven for the first time this year. He yeah, I mean, that
0: is, that is unbelievable. I mean, he has been quietly so, so good. And he's getting out of jams that last season, he's finding himself getting spots that he's getting knocked around in. So I think it was in maybe the fourth inning or so, he found himself second and third one out. And then I think struck out the next two batters. And that's something that he lacked last season, the ability to put hitters away and seven, seven Ks and seven innings is something I never thought I would really see out of Jamison Tyone anymore. Always strike me as an out, you know, in play kind of guy, even though he's always been sort of a higher strikeout player. I just never really believed that he could find a put out or a way to put pit, uh, hitters away. And he's finally figuring it out. So I think we're going to keep giving Jamison Tyone his kudos for, for as long as he keeps pitching like this. And it's hard to give him the, uh, the up of the week every single week, but you can only do so much. Um, all right. That was great. So our next segment, our, our famed Gary of the week. Um, if you are unfamiliar with this segment, uh, Matt and I, uh, Les, as you may or may not know, are uh, the biggest Gary Sanchez apologists uh, affiliated with the Pinstripe perspective and, and and maybe on earth, who knows? So Matt, as uh, my my fellow Gary lover, I will let you introduce our gary of the week
2: i love gary of the week this week and the reason why i love it is because gary had a great week this week so between sunday between previous sunday the 15th and yesterday gary went seven for 30 with four doubles the two homers so of his seven hits six were for extra bases that's a 630 slugging percentage And the guy who everyone loved to hate during his entire tenure in New York has a weighted runs created plus of 113. Above average for major league hitters and certainly well above average for major league catchers. He's doing the Gary thing in Minnesota. He's not hitting for average, but he's hitting for power. And that's a valuable player. And again, with the offensive black hole that's been Yankee catchers this year, you just got to wonder. You just got to wonder.
0: You just got to wonder.
2: Anyways... My uh, choice of our comparison for Gary of the Week this week is a guy who we talked a little bit about earlier, and that is the Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. And the reason why I chose Tim Anderson for Gary of the Week this week is because Tim Anderson almost experienced the Gary Sanchez experience in a nutshell this weekend. I mean, facing booze and racism at Yankee Stadium, nothing's more Gary than that, everyone. <laughs> Truly nothing's more Gary than that. And and Tim Anderson did he, you know, made he not only did he call out Donaldson for his inappropriate comments, but then he played it out on the field, which is always the best way to deal with being slighted, is just to show the other team that you're a better player. And he hit that big home run in the game Sunday night and overall had a fantastic week actually hit 433 uh, in seven games overall this past week, uh, four against Kansas City, and then the three games set at Yankee Stadium was excellent overall. Uh, and so I think although Gary had the best week of his season, and I really uh, hate to give out the Gary of the Week, uh, award it to the, uh, the opponents rather than to Gary, given how wonderful his week was, I have to say Tim Anderson Had a better week than Gary Sanchez this week. Faced down a bad situation with honesty and with class and made it count on the field.
0: Yeah, there's definitely such thing at Yankee Stadium as the cringe boo. And Gary Sanchez was a victim of that at all times. Also just a victim of like body shaming and everything else under the sun that Yankee fans can throw at you. So... Yes. Good for Tim Anderson for, you can, you you can only tip your cap to someone that does that at Yankee stadium, getting booed for something you probably shouldn't be getting booed for. And then hitting basically a game ending home run and shushing the crowd your whole way around. And you know what?
2: Definitely. I was like, I was like, shush him, man. Yeah. Do it. I was
0: like, you know what, go Go ahead, do your thing. You kind of just earned that moment. Les, I'm curious, you know, we didn't really talk much about Gary Sanchez last season. And and obviously, you know, I, I became acquainted with you, sometime last year late last season what were your thoughts on Gary Sanchez and his tenure as a Yankee were you a Gary apologist like Matt and I or were you kind of uh you know uh, a mainstream Gary hater as I'd like to call them no I had
1: my moments I really (laughs) did where I just I I wanted that guy to be successful so bad I felt like he had such a strong arm behind the plate he can hit the ball a mile and I'm from Scranton so originally so I saw Gary Sanchez quite a bit coming up through the ranks, and I just thought, man, this guy is going to be awesome. And I thought he was the next in line following Posada, and we were going to be set. And then, like you guys were talking about, he got shamed for everything. You know, was he the best defensive catcher? No. Neither was Jorge Posada, but they did all right with him. Uh, you know, and, like, he got called lazy and all these other just negative things, and that stuff in New York City, yep. That that – That might've eaten him up, but he still shut people, shut people up quite a bit. So, but I had my moments. I, I really did where, you know, I thought he was just all he was trying to do was hit home runs and that drove me inexplicably crazy. But I actually, I liked Gary Sanchez a lot and I wanted him to be
0: successful. That's good. As long as you're not someone that like was just wishing ill will on Gary, all Matt and I care about is that you cared about the guy. Like we have a very emotional attachment to him. So we really just want him to get as much encouragement and positivity as possible. I am for one, am incredibly happy that the twins are in first place by four games. And Gary Sanchez has a chance to beat the Yankees in the playoffs. I mean this with like a not like I mean this with a straight face, not joking, not tongue in cheek. The twins, beat the Yankees in a playoff series, and a lot of it has to do with Gary Sanchez, I'll be okay. Not afraid to say that. That's how much I love this guy. And I think the Yankees kind of deserve it. But I'll, anyway, be I'll be thrilled. I'll right? a step further. I'll be thrilled. Right? <laughs> I think that would be kind of cool. It would It would definitely stink, but it would also be kind of cool because I might be a bigger Gary Sanchez fan than I am a Yankee fan. That's. Wow. <laughs> it's very possible. I mean – Gary got such a bad rap, and I just want the best for him. Anyway, moving on from Gary Sanchez. Les, if you can't tell, we can we could probably do an hour on Gary Sanchez if we really wanted to here. It seems it. Anyway, let's uh let's get into our Joey Gallo Babbitt Award. I think we're gonna have to rename <laughs> the award because Joey Gallo just doesn't put the ball in base uh, or in play ever. He's just terrible. He swings and misses, and now he's not even playing baseball anymore because he has some weird illness that no one seems to understand. Um, that's not COVID, but anyway. My Joey gallo Babup award goes to Miguel Andujar. The, the king of BABIP and, and, you know, putting doubles down the line as a repeatable, repeatable skill is back. Miguel Andujar in his famed 2018 season 316 BABIP with a 361 weighted on, base, weighted on base average and, of course, a 322 expected weighted on base average. And as I just mentioned, he had a knack for putting 93 exit velocity baseballs down the left field line it's what he does best and I for one am more than excited to see him get his chance I've honestly I'll say I've been a Miguel Andujar hater for a long time just because I didn't like that everyone thought he was gonna be like consistently good for this team because there was so much there to tell you that probably wasn't gonna be a very good hitter but now he's got a chance got called up show us something Miguel what are, you, what are you guys looking for out of him? What do you expect? Do you expect anything? Is he even going to play? I don't even know. Just keep hitting doubles.
1: Just pepper <laughs> the left field. Miggy doubles. line, Miggy doubles. Just do that. Come up, hit, hit doubles, get RBIs, do goofy handshakes, and let's get a win. But that's kind of all I'm looking forward to with uh, Andrew Hard. I don't know where you play him.
2: I don't I know. I guess that... maybe outfield. Sorry, outfield. That's...
1: No, it's all right. I guess maybe the outfield somewhere, Josh Donaldson. Oh man,
0: base, I don't I think no I don't think I can watch a Yankee game with Miguel Andujar in the outfield. There, <laughs> I, I have to not, I would have to do something else with my night. There's just no way.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that, that we're actually going to see him a whole lot. And I think one of the primary reasons is that the Yankees really seem to like Marwin Gonzalez a lot.
0: Yeah, they have an obsession with this guy.
2: They, they do. And, and Marwin can legitimately play Anywhere that do Andu- that Andujar can play and, and do it a lot better, so he, he he's going to fill in at third quite a bit. He can play left, he can play right, he can, he can fill in at second or even short if he needs to. So I think any way you slice it, it seems to me that the that the Yankees would rather have Marwin out there than Andujar. Although I do think the offensive upside of Andujar is quite a bit higher. So yeah, I guess it just depends on what you need on a given day. But I wouldn't expect to see him certainly not on an everyday basis out there.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see how much he plays because he's not someone that the Yankees have, in the way that they have with, with Marvin Gonzalez, shown like a lot of uh, willingness to, to put out there. I, I think they kind of know his issues defensively. With Donaldson out and with Gallo out, like, can you maybe give him some DH looks when you have like that judge in center, stand in right, hicks in left formation going? I don't know what they're going to do. He's probably going to get a bet somewhere. Um, especially maybe as more people get sick, that, that kind of remains to be seen. But we'll see. I'm excited for him. I'm happy that he keeps finding ways to just, like, show up out of nowhere. It's like we kind of forget about Miguel Anderhard. They're like, oh, look, he's back. Like, the guy that almost won Rookie of the Year is, is now back uh, on the Major League level. Good for him. So we'll see what happens. Um, and we're kind of at that point now that we got last year where, remember when there was Greg Allen, Esteban Floriel was playing – now here we are with Esteban Florio playing every day. Miguel Andujar is back up. The lineup looks weird and weak, and I'm scared. And that takes me into our final conversation, the look ahead for the rest of the week. So we have two against Baltimore. Looking like the Yankees are going to lose one to the Orioles tonight in a Garrett Cole game. I think down 6-4 going to the bottom of the ninth. I looked away from my TV screen there, gushing about Miguel Andujar. And then after that, our biggest fear as Yankee fans, four games against the Tampa Bay Rays at the Trop, a house of horrors for the Yankees. So, Les, I will actually kick it to you and give us a record prediction for the next six games. If you need to know Garrett Cole pitches Saturday and you need to identify, I think one thing we're going to do is you need to identify if you think the Yankees will lose the Garrett Cole game.
1: I... I think they're going to win the Garrett Cole game, just because I'm so they on got the record. They'll, they'll, get yeah, one, they get,
0: they, they'll get one.
1: They'll get one. I'm on the record as calling Garrett Cole the best pitcher on the planet, also <laughs> the best pitcher on the planet, not named Nestor Cortez. So yes. I'm going to trademark that. Um, I really, I don't know. I think the, I think realistically, they could go three and three
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the next six. Tampa's not having a typical Tampa season. You know, it seems like Toronto maybe has stolen their thunder a little bit, but Tampa's kind of – they're hanging around. They haven't hit a hot streak yet. So we'll see what happens. That really is an exciting series, and I don't like Tampa at all. I actually – I feel like I hate them more than they hate the Red Sox.
0: They're like a, they're like a gnat that's just always flying around you that like just a group of gnats that like won't go away. It's like not so much uh, like a deep rooted hatred. It's just, they're so annoying and they just, they never piss off and they'll never stop annoying the crap out of you. Matt, what's your, uh, what's your prediction for the next six games?
2: My prediction is I hate the Rays and I think they're (laughs) terrible for baseball. So my opinions are always biased. On wow. As someone, as
0: someone that's like so into kind of being nerdy, hating the Rays is a, is a hot take.
2: Yeah. And I think certainly at some point on one of these episodes, we should go into depth on what does it mean to be analytically inclined and mm, what yes. teams are doing it the right way and what teams aren't. I would love to have that discussion for now. I will say that I, with, with the way the Yankees look right now, I can't see them go into Tampa and actually take that series so I think they're going to recover after it looks like they're about to lose tonight, although anything can happen. I think they're going to win the next two games against the Orioles to take the series. And I think they're going to go down to Tampa and split that one. I can't give any more optimistic of a prediction than that right now. So four and two over the six, not including tonight is what I will, uh, is what I will put out there for
0: posterity. Any players that you're watching, either of you, anyone that you are like, I need to see how this guy does over the next six games.
1: I think Florial. I mean, I, mm. I really think this is a good opportunity for him as well. He's really been on that cusp. He he looked like another next guy coming to town, and then it didn't work for him. But I think this is a good opportunity if they give him a legit chance. So I might keep an eye on Esteban Florial for the next however long he's in town.
2: Rob Brantley. No, just kidding. Uh <laughs> Well, I will actually be keeping an eye on Rob Brantley, but no, more seriously, uh, Robert, I think your point earlier about DJ LeMay, was, was spot on. He has slipped. He had a great April and now he's looking more like the DJ LeMay of 2021, as opposed to the one of 2020 or 2019. He's got to bounce back that table setter at the top of the lineup, especially with, with the injury bug now hitting and the weird illness bug now hitting, they need DJ to be at the top of his game. And I will look to see if I will be very interested to see if he rebounds. For the rest of this week
0: yeah so my the i'll I'll give the guy that i'm trying to watch and then kind of my record prediction uh i i think it's time to stop acting like glaber torres is back and i need to more see him be back and especially now um, because Gallo's out donaldson's out there's injuries everywhere it's time for glaber torres in the middle of that lineup batting fourth tonight to just maybe step it up another notch because if he's going to continue to struggle, he is batting 237. He does have a sub 650 OPS, I think. It might be more like 680, 690. He needs to just do a little bit more to keep this team afloat. So that is my the guy I'm really watching. Because I think if he's going to struggle and and just not produce the way the Yankees need someone in their middle of the lineup to produce, then, then I think this team is going to have a tough time over the next six games. Which kind of leads me to my next point, which is I think the Yankees are going to lose another game to the Orioles, and I think they're going to lose three out of four to Tampa. I, I, I am getting a, a – they're, they're, everyone in the team is sick. There's a lot of injuries. You just had the, the Chapman thing. And I'm usually unrealistically optimistic, and now I'm probably being unrealistic, unrealistically pessimistic. But but I think there's room here for just a little pullback. It's just a little market correction for this team right now because they're not supposed to be this good. They're not supposed to be 29-12. and 12. And I think this is the, the perfect storm for them to kind of have a moment where we're sitting here on Monday, maybe only three games ahead of Tampa, thinking, hmm, okay, kind of a lot of holes here. A lot of guys are hurt as D.J. LeMahieu grounds into a double play. Uh, no, he does not. A lot of guys that are hurt, a lot of guys – that that we need to perform a little bit more and maybe there are more question marks and, and we're able to get, luckily we have, there's enough of a cushion for this team to get to the point where you're at the trade deadline, still in play for the division, still in first in the division and still able to make serious contender moves. What do you guys think of my doomsday scenario there?
1: No, that's pretty good. I mean, <laughs> they they could definitely, the Josh Johnson definitely things seem to suck the air out of the room. So A little bit. It definitely did. Like, I would love to see – honestly, I'd love to see Stan start to put this team back on his back again and Mm. just start mashing home runs. Like, that would be – that would really uh, kind of put them on track. But Donaldson – Donaldson was bad. That did not help.
0: Matt, what do you think? You think I'm being too dramatic? I'm not going to go to a total place of despair just yet.
2: I I wouldn't even call
0: it despair necessarily. It's more – I can just see things kind of not going great for the night. Like, this is a, a big hold the line moment. I mean, look who's in the lineup tonight. It's terrible at the end of the day. kinder Faleff
2: uh, is, Falef is betting fifth. Yeah, it's not a good lineup by any stretch. And, you know, they were due for, as you said, they were due for, for a correction of sorts. They were not going to maintain a 730 win pace all year long. So you knew this was going to happen, but I don't. I don't think that we're going to slide. We're going to see a true slide into into disaster right now. I think we've almost like flipped places now from the start of the year, where I'm I'm preaching that you know the team is still in good shape, and Robert is on the uh, things are <laughs> headed on a downward spiral bandwagon. But yeah, I don't think I don't. I, oh, I don't see any reason to to, to get too down just yet. We'll see where we are at this time next week. Not so much
0: a downward spiral, just a just a quick little you know bad week for the Yankees to kind of sober everyone up a little bit so that we can all kind of stop acting crazy because Monday's the off day. So they don't play on Memorial day. So I think, you know, maybe limp into that off day and then you're home against, against the angels. And then, you know, you're home against the tigers and then you hit the road to play the twins. So a a quick pullback. I think any race series is tough. It's hard to expect to anything better than a split. And, and, and I think, you know, Things going south there, and then going one and three is definitely a possibility. So we'll see what happens. But you are right. Before the season, I was so optimistic about this team, and now, of course, here I am at the first sign of trouble, ready to ready to maybe push the panic button. But anyway, that is, I think, all we have for this episode, right? So I'll let you guys do uh, do what you do what you want to do in terms of where can the people follow you interact with you whatever less i will let you go first sure
1: and if you're interested in my random musings i'm Les Williams 23 on twitter and the i write occasionally for a pinstripe perspective that's it i don't do much social other than that i've got five kids man twitter's <laughs> all you get twitter's all you get <laughs>
2: My Twitter handle, anyone who's listened knows this by now, but mcjarrell 14 MC Gerald14. I write occasionally for perspectives. I am here yelling about nothing every week on the pod, and I write uh, daily recaps of Yankees minor league action for our sister website, Pinstriped
0: Prospects. Awesome, and you can follow myself uh, at rcoles 206 on Twitter. More importantly, you can follow Pinstripe Perspective on Twitter at PinstripePers, Pinstripe P-E-R-S. For the most part, we are live tweeting during games. Um, If we're not doing that, we're just tweeting random thoughts about the Yankees. So we would love to interact with anyone and everyone. But that'll do it for this week. Once again, we're ending the podcast in a big high leverage moment, Matt. Once once again, we find a way every single week every week to 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 log off the second something big is about to happen. But you know what? We're gonna keep it on brand and we're gonna keep it going. If you listened, please subscribe, follow, leave a five-star rating, share it with everyone that you know, your dog, your fish. Less I want all five of your children to be listening to this podcast the second it drops. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for us and we will talk to you all next week and go Yanks.